2: Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. This week, Hugh Edwards of the BBC and The Sun. Has anyone had a good seven days? Uh, Meanwhile, in Ireland, RTE faces its own scandal. We discuss the need for transparency in public-funded broadcasters. Also on the programme, Lineker tops the BBC wages list, while BBC Studios reaps bumper profits. And Labour gets on the wrong side of the press. All that, plus in the media quiz, we'll play spin doctors. That's all to come in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, a poison pen letter that was sent to most of Fleet Street has been leaked online. It concerned new podcaster George Osborne, but whilst the email contained no evidence to support its claims, the fact it dropped the night before his wedding meant it was shared widely. Uh, The new film studios in Waltham Cross have paused amid fears over increased business tax rates. Hollywood Sunset Studios' concerns about the impact on production were echoed by other studios who have already been in talks with the culture secretary, Lucy Fraser. And Meta's friendly answer to Twitter, Threads, amassed 100 million signups in five days and became the most rapidly downloaded app ever. Meanwhile, the Musk-owned app is shedding users and Elon has threatened to sue the copycat platform. Now joining me from the London podcast studios for our final episode before the summer break, we welcome back editor of the media leader, Omar Oakes. Uh, Omar, I was reading on your site about Channel 4 uh, reporting about their digital advertising income seeming
3: to be pretty healthy. Yes, Channel Four, as all four as it was, the streaming platform is rebranded. It will always be Four O D in my heart. Oh God, now you're <laughs> going back. They always rebrand. Why did they rebrand? Yes, um, so they're doing well, and not just only that. Non-advertising revenue is up as well. So CEO um, Alex Mann was very pleased about that. So digital advertising's
2: is up, um, and that because they represent some other some other TV channels as well.
3: Uh, yes of course they run a sales house so in the uk sales houses are you know run by sky itv and channel 4 but that doesn't escape the fact that you know the linear ad market has been tough this year two-thirds of their revenue still comes from linear tv advertising and they estimate that it's going to be down by six percent this year um so the fact that they were coming into 2022 only two percent down they're actually quite pleased by that
2: and it was their best ever year the previous year yeah so they put surpassed
3: one billion pounds revenue for the first time Mm. and they did that again this year um but yeah it's there's no getting around it it's a tough market for tv as we'll probably get into with other topics broadcasters are looking to diversify revenue looking to make more out of their streaming platforms which they've invested a lot in but you know it's tough out there in terms of production and perhaps an oversupply in content
2: uh, and next, to Omar, we have the new European's editor-in-chief, Matt Kelly. Uh, Matt, The Sun was revealed to have the highest readership in print and online of any UK commercial news brand, according to PAMCO. Um, earlier this year, you guys found it was the least trusted news brand of the UK, the BBC being the most trusted. It's a strange relationship, isn't it, the public and
4: The Sun? Well, I don't know how you can be the most influential and yet the least trusted. How does that work?
2: <laughs> I don't know. I mean,
4: the people say, I don't believe a word they say, but I'm going to do what they've told me to do. To do you know i don't think that they've got great seo that works i also um don't particularly trust the report frankly because i know that the sun like many other national newspapers no longer reports its mm. daily circulation because mm. the statistics are so catastrophic um and i think i'm right in saying that the daily mail is for better or worse probably the most purchased um, newspaper day to day so you know whether influence uh, extends to the same degree online as it used to in print, I also think is massively spurious claim. So yeah, I'm not totally convinced by either of those uh, statements.
2: Well, i definitely been in the press this week. Uh, it's, there's been one story that's been dominating media discussion. This is the sun publishing allegations against a BBC presenter who we now know to be Hugh Edwards. Uh, now the media circus is quiet, quiet and slightly quiet. Questions are being raised over the BBC's handling and also the sun's decision to publish the story. Um, I mean, Matt, The Sun, were they more cautious than usual or were they more aggressive than they usually are? I mean, I looked at some of this and thought some of it harked back to the the sort of gay outing days of yeah. the, the 80s and 90s. Is it just a version of that with some new stuff stapled on?
4: Yeah, I mean, the most astonishing thing to me about this story is that anybody's expressed any sort of curiosity as to whether The Sun got it right or wrong in the way they approach this kind of journalism, because this is what they've been doing forever. And they've been doing it as viciously and as brutally as this, you know, for ad infinitum. The only difference here is that that, I think because of fear of privacy law, or maybe just the fact that the actual complainant told them on WhatsApp that the story was bollocks. Mm. They didn't name the presenter. And there's a kind of, um, I think... uh, real upside-down nature to the way this story has developed, you know, we've now got a series of complaints coming out against Hugh Edwards which will be investigated and I'm sure will be treated with all credibility as they should be. But the central complaint, the thing that kicked the whole storm off, the thing that is probably responsible for him being in a psychiatric hospital at this moment, is the only thing we know to be bollocks. Hmm. So there's a real unfortunate nature to the way this story's unfolded, uh, which does none of the British media any credit. I don't think the Sun journalism has been good. I think the BBC's reaction to it has been hopeless. Both, you know, the... The, the lack of agility in investigating the complaint in the first place. Uh also the But how
2: could they investigate a thing which sort of turns out not to be true.
4: Well, I mean the, but the complaint was made. You know, yeah. uh, it wasn't put to Hugh Edwards. But it wasn't it instance.
2: wasn't it we don't this is part of the problem is we still don't know a lot of the details. Yeah. Well we know story. it was
4: made it was seven weeks ago and but, then, but
2: it was a state the the viewers it was a slightly different complaint to maybe one that the son got. Yeah,
4: yeah. Well absolutely and I think, you know, the the suns there was there seemed to me to be some backtracking in the suns uh, position on this wh- where they started saying well they splashed here's the story you know BBC star in mm. has been has paid thirty five thousand quid for these sexual pictures uh, with a seventeen year old which mm. is the bit we know for sure isn't true because if that was true he would currently be under arrest and being interviewed mm. by the by the Met so we know that's not true uh they then started saying well we, no what we've reported is the concerns of two very upset and worried you know parents uh and then the actual complainant comes on and says the whole thing's a load of rubbish so you which, know which
2: you knew before you published
4: which which, which, uh, which told by you. the way the the complainant whatsapped you to tell yeah. you but you never you never included that
2: in your coverage which well, strikes you, me as utterly bizarre you've been in newspapers all your life yeah um what would what would have been the conversations around that news desk about what to take a flyer on, yeah. uh, what to ignore, what to go for? They obviously decided that this is a great story. Yeah. Was it just it sounded too good to be true, and they just got excited really, by what it seemed to be? It takes a lot of news UK slash yeah. Sun boxes. You know, it's anti BBC, yeah. so you just think, oh, this has got everything that the Sun loves to the yeah And,
4: and what well, I'm trying to work out because I have sat in those newsroom meetings and you know, the first stage is fundamentally, do we believe this to be true? And I think, ironically, you know, the recent court case where uh, Prince Harry gave evidence, one of the factors that came as a surprise to a lot of people, I think, was the degree of care to which tabloid newspapers do Mm. go through to make sure that stuff is true. Not always been the case. Also, how many
2: people are talking behind your back that you don't really realise? That's right. That's Mm. right. absolutely right. Mm. Now,
4: so you've got that meeting, we've got a story, we've got two concerned parents. It's it's in the aftermath of the Philip Schofield saga. So there's resonances of that, you know, it's another big scandal and newspapers love themes, you know, they, there is a thematic procession of stories quite often. So you've got that on one side, but it's hard to escape the feeling that what was really driving this, because that story, the editor would have had to go through legal, would have had to take an advice. I'm sure that the chief executive of, of news would have been in the loop on this. The fact that it was an anti-BBC story, I think ticked more boxes perhaps than the fact that here was an alleged miscreant uh, leading the news at 10.
2: Omar, do you think the sort of the Murdoch distaste for the BBC and desire for it to not be the size it is drove some of this decision making
3: well i think as you've seen with the richard sharp affair earlier in Mm -hmm. the year is that the bbc can be quite Mm flat-footed at its worst or even most often i think that's that's a weak spot and when you're running a massive organization i actually have some sympathy with tim davey i mean there's a lot to criticize him for but in this particular case as you know previous contributors to the show when you talked about Carolyn McCall appearing for a select mm-hmm. committee, Philip Schofield, you know, what's an organisation to do when complaints are made? Or if in that case, complaints aren't made, but there's whispering and rumours, you know, there's only so much you can do in an investigation, particularly in this case where the central allegation may not even be true. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, we perhaps we didn't investigate it as thoroughly as we could have done. But remember, this is, as my, by my count, this is five weeks The story Mm. came out and the first allegation was made remember chris pincher the man who did for boris johnson pincher by name Mm. pincher by (laughs) nature as he famously is reported to have said that took five years Mm. to come out and you know when you're in a high profile position like this you know i I'm, i'm ashamed to say i approached hugh edwards in the streets i saw him in summer and he was very nice and took a selfie with me and when you're that famous when you're that household name level of famous. It, a lot of people he struggle with mental health. It could break your brain. Well, so so it, the, BBC, it, the, the BBC, situation is probably not as simple as that. The BBC get hundreds of complaints a day.
2: Um, some of which are fair, some of which are opinions, some of which are green ink. You can see why it went a different direction. Yeah, I mean, it's almost impossible to fix. Isn't it impossible to fix that complaints procedure? Just some stuff like this does happen. I
4: guess so. I mean, there's a the latest update on the story. If, if it's true, who knows, because there's so much swirling about, is that um, a senior presenter had also made a complaint, but prior to The Sun's mm. story breaking. So to me, what would have been far preferable and far more humane and decent and honest is if that process had been followed, if if Hugh Edwards has perpetrated all these offences against people, is uh, is disciplined, is suspended or fired whatever it doesn't matter. then the story mm. is the story but what seems just just sickeningly wrong is that the story that set this fire ablaze that set this house ablaze and has ended up such a catastrophic effect on on him but also the bbc mm.
2: it is all based on something that is patently not true is the sun gonna get any and is there any negativity around the sun or I they think they, there they is don't, but do they care well, no one likes us, we don't care. Well,
4: well, they care they care when advertisers start caring. Mm. I don't think they give a damn about the readers anymore. Mm. I don't think that's the point, um, despite that poll about them being influential, most read, and all of that. That is not their business model anymore. Their business model is to attract advertising. Um and so where you see a bit of twitchiness, and we saw it at the Daily Mail and years gone by, is when campaigns around Newspapers' behavior starts reaching advertisers' ears. They start becoming under pressure on social media from, you know, uh, there's plenty of activist groups, Hope Not Hate being foremost – and, and advertisers start switching off because they think it's a toxic platform. Yeah. It does no good to their brand. Then they start getting bothered.
2: Omar, have you heard anything from agencies or advertisers about this sort of thing? I mean, brand safety, huge topic, um, even with like pragmatic advertising, big worries about how that works, AI, all of these sorts of things. Anybody pop their head above the parapet and said, are we going to take our, our ads out of the, the Sun Online or The Sun newspaper?
3: I think um, beyond the realms of um, your fine listenership, who probably knows this very well, I think the, the normal person out there would be shocked to know how amoral the industry is. <laughs> and frankly, you know, um, as, as Matt alludes to, um, the business model now is about advertising as everything's moved online. And it's a very competitive environment out there. And I think, you know, it's, it's a very tough sell if you're working within a commercial operation to actually start saying that, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, oh, we're getting all this heat over gambling advertising or tobacco advertising let alone advertising against the content that we're doing um you know um, sorry to plug our own stuff but on the media literacy Civic, we've run an interview with um dominic williams who's the the chief revenue officer of mail metro publisher of daily mail and mail online and you know he freely admits that brexit has been bad for business Mm. but yet your newspaper has been championing brexit for you know more than the last ten years. Don't, don't get Matt started. We've got to move on quickly. Talk. <laughs> I was trying to. Get Why out. can't we talk about that? <laughs>
2: well, we're still in the scandal business uh, because another public broadcaster, this is Ireland's RTE, is dealing with the fallout of their own scandal. Their recent audit revealed their star presenter, this is the late Late Show host Ryan, uh, Tabridy, uh, received additional payments of three hundred and forty-five thousand euro more than that was publicly declared. Just like the UK, uh, RTE have to declare uh, what their. Um, Talent earned, just like the BBC. Uh, the former director Dee Forbes immediately resigned, though she was going to be leaving anyway, uh, and the presenters not currently on air. Um, Omar, do we know why there were these extra payments to Ryan? Oh, you're going to
3: ask me questions about barter, aren't you? Oh, goodness. I remember years ago having a masterclass about how barter works and just being incredibly confused by the whole thing. Um, So as I understand this story, and, you know, there is nothing wrong on its face with barter. It's a very simple arrangement where you exchange ad inventory for, um, you know, other goods and services um, instead of using cash. And it's actually a win-win because that third party is valuing that inventory higher than it would do otherwise Um, so it's actually a very efficient way of handling your inventory Um, in this case it's just it seems to me just a question of transparency Mm. in terms of you know anyone could just say that you know oh Renault or I think was one of the brands mentioned that Renault wants to pay this person to appear at events Mm. but they don't want to pay whatever the going rate is so you exchange for some inventory and it's not being declared Uh,
2: Yeah, so this is um, Ryan getting extra payments which weren't um, declared by uh, RTE. Uh, And sometimes, I mean, sometimes I know you see this in commercial radio, where you need presenters to do some extra plugging for something. What some of the radio groups do is they actually pay in advance the presenters for the year. So they go, hey, you're earning half a million pounds a year to present the zfm breakfast show but we're going to pay you an extra three hundred thousand pounds for commercial services that we don't actually know what they are yet but it means the sales team can go out and go oh we know that the breakfast center will appear at your local area because you've actually already paid them to, to do it um and sometimes obviously it's a way of getting a bigger salary for these people without it sort of coming out of uh, the normal budget and obviously it's a public broadcaster where the money's tight greasing those wheels can be a, uh, can be something that works pretty well until it doesn't, and the wheels fall off the fall off the car. Um, appearing at parliamentary committee. Um, the presenter uh, to Bridie denied any involvement in the cover-up and claimed he's unfairly been made the face of the scandal. Uh, has he done anything wrong, Matt? Well, I've, I've got no
4: idea. I'd never heard of this guy yeah. until this cropped up with the greatest of respect to him. But he seems like a very good presenter. He's clearly massively popular. Yep. And everybody in the Republic seems to know and love him. What uh, I thought was the most striking uh, part of this story for me was the... Uh, hybrid model of funding that RTE mm. adopts, where it's partly public funded, partly commercially funded, so part
2: license fee, part. Average. That's right, but mm. they
4: are now facing a bit of a revolution from license fee payers who are saying the whole thing's bent. I'm not paying mm. anymore, and they are now looking at a an income crisis, which is which is could be existential. You mm. know, so they're now going to go back to the government and say, "We hope everyone's going to pay their license fee, but it looks like we're going to get a lot of people refusing to." On the back of this help us out some more so it does you know we've got the same thing going with the bbc about their funding model you know but also the,
2: everyone has got it in for the public broadcasters
4: everybody has which is a bit of a shame really isn't it because you know imagine life without them you know it'd be
2: pretty well, well, terrifying if you're, if, if you're in some buildings you'd be very happy with a, a life well you would
4: them. if you're in in you know the news uk building but that's that's a long running agenda for purely commercial reasons. And, you know, if I understood that as a punter, as a license fee payer, I'd be doubling down on my mm. license fee. If, it, if Rupert Murdoch is really upset by it, I'd think that was a good indication that it was a w- w- well worth paying for, you yeah. know.
2: Uh, but this is the trouble with governments as well, isn't it? Like it, it plays into uh, a lot of anti-BBC feeling, anti-public broadcaster feeling that right, particularly not entirely, but right-wing governments have yeah. about public broadcasters too. Yeah. And you, we saw the Conservative MPs jump on uh, the BBC handling of um, the BBC presenter inquiry yeah. because it it fulfills their own their own needs. Well, that's
4: what that I think that's what was probably the worst aspect of the whole Hugh Edwards thing is that really was it was a story being fought from from a factional perspective Mm. I don't think it's really about Hugh Edwards's behavior I think that's a a sideshow. I think it was the voices when you've got Kelvin McKenzie you know the guy who literally had to pay Elton John a million quid for making up stuff homophobic Mm. slurs about him as editor of the Sun when you've got him on the world at one given a platform about defunding the bbc because they can't be trusted because of this one individual who is not the bbc he's a, a person that's mm. all um i think that that gives you an insight into how people are going to seize anything and use it as a stick to beat the bbc or if you're a bleeding heart liberal like i am you know a stick to say you know bugger off you know this this is an organization that's worth fighting for for all its faults
2: uh, omar if you're rte uh do you just have a problem with the way that the market's changing and the way advertising's changing? Like, you could have a hybrid model in the past because you just took 30-second spot ads and they ran in between your programs and you didn't really have to think of it too much. It was connected to your your impacts or whatever. Uh, whereas now, you know, every media organization is looking at commercial revenue a different way and RT RTE just were battling to try and keep up?
3: Um, it could well be that. I mean, I... I remember um, when the credit crunch, there was a huge rise in barter activity in the UK um, because there was a glut of ad inventory that wasn't being taken because of fallen advertiser demands. Now, when we just referenced Channel 4 um, TV, which is still a huge part of the traditional ad market, um, is there's going to be a fallen advertiser demand that already is. What's interesting now is I don't think that you're going to see the same degree of barter activity rise in the UK because I think frankly the market has moved on and TV broadcasters for example are taking a lot of late money in ways they Mm -hmm. didn't a decade ago because they've gotten rid of what were advanced booking charges. Mm -hmm. Um, There's more digital inventory, we just talked about Channel 4, there's ITVX, there's lots of streaming platforms, lots of connected TV money and advertisers want in on that. Um, and the rates are much often much
2: more expensive, aren't they, than broadcast television? Sometimes that digital capacity can be very profitable yeah, for broadcasts. So,
3: so forgive me, I don't know the ins and outs of RT as a broadcaster and what streaming mm. platforms, what digital inventory they have, but I suspect the market is far behind what it is in the UK. So maybe from our vantage point, it seems a bit, hmm, this thing looks like a very 2009 story. Okay, we'll have more media talk after
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Hey, media
2: podcast listeners, a little podcast admin for you. As is the tradition, we'll be taking a break over the summer as you will jet off to your chalets. Uh, But we will return in late August with a special from the Edinburgh International Television Festival. So if you're there, please do come and say hello. And if you're a business looking to reach the thousands that listen to the media podcast every week, whether they're TV execs, journalists, radio chiefs, or marketing gurus, just head to themediapodcast.com to arrange a chat for our autumn season we'd be delighted to speak with you that's go to our website themediapodcast.com to arrange a chat Uh, okay back to the show Okay, Omar and Matt are back with me. Time for some news in brief. Uh, still on the BBC, presenter salaries—always exciting to look at how much people or other people earn. Uh, Gary Lineker has continued his reign as the BBC's highest-paid presenter, according to their annual report, uh, with an impressive 1.35 million pounds for talking about football. Um, Matt, the BBC backed down when uh, Lineker stood by some of his comments earlier this year, and he remains their highest-paid host. Doesn't it say that the talent are just still in charge? They, well, they
4: are, you know, I mean, if they're not in charge, what's the consequence of that? I mean, I, it probably won't come as a surprise that I'm a Lineker fan. You know, I mm. like the fact that he uh, has this hugely successful entertainment career, but can also stick his head above the parapet and say what he really feels. I don't think there's any anything wrong with that in, in public life. Um and uh, and the fact that he's making a load of money, well, of course he does. You know, there's a market rate to it. Um, I assume that if uh, Gary Lineker decided to go to ITV for whatever reason, they'd pay him twice as much. So you could look at it that way and say he's delivering terrific value.
2: I mean, is it though? Just if you're running the BBC and you know you're going to get a Gary Lineker-related kick every year. Um, just just move on and just, just put someone else on. It's not affect the, the viewers of, of Match of the Day, is it? But
4: can't, why can't the BBC... Why are they so sensitive to the fact that you get a Gary Lineker mm. kick? You know, we live in a very contentious world where people are debating... But oh, they've got enough trouble. We've already seen today well, they got yeah. enough trouble. Why another one? Because well, he's great at what he does. Yeah. He does loads of content for them. He presents all sorts... It's not just Match of the Day whittling on about football mm. and was that a great corner and all of that. You know, does loads of stuff for them. He's a consummate presenter. Mm. I remember the first time he was on Match of the Day because I'm that yep. old. He was hopeless. Yep. Do you remember? I mean, so he's really become this this uh, this consummate professional. And I think we should look at him um, and say, you know, you, given the context of the salary ranges you talk, I mean, put it this way: there are people on that list mm. that if I was in an unkind mood, I'd be saying, so, are you winding me up 300
2: grand for that? Well, we'll, we'll, put, oh. that, we'll put that in the extra uh, spin-off. I mean, Omar, four women appear on the list, an improvement on last year's three uh we're still 33
3: increase that's we, progress right yeah is it progress <laughs> um no obviously not there aren't enough women in media there aren't mm. enough women role models in media we know that i mean Gary i'm Lin- very
2: conscious we're an all-male uh, panel yeah, today we should, as well, well, I, was, well, I,
3: well yeah. I, I was i was thinking of changing my mat just to fit in with everyone else <laughs> but um, I, I didn't get the paperwork in on time no the Gary Lineker, you know, his market value is exemplified by the fact that he already does work elsewhere. He's Mm. he's a very highly in-demand presenter who's done work for Al Jazeera, uh, Comcast. BT um, Sport. BT Sport, Champions League. Walker's Crisps. Yeah. and so Does he? (laughs) So you can't, on the one hand, say that the BBC doesn't function correctly. And on the other hand, when you have a very successful show that's watched by millions of people every week, and this guy's been presenting it for two decades, and suddenly say that, oh, actually, we should be, you know, getting... I don't know the cleaning the cleaning man the mm. cleaning lady to present it. Yeah. I, I don't or understand. Alan Shearer even worse. Well, Alan Shearer is doing right on the list <laughs> already. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's on nearly a million himself. I mean, yeah. you know what? What I was more concerned about is to see Ian Wright. They made a big deal um, a few weeks ago about Ian Wright presenting the show alongside his son Sean Wright Phillips. And mm. uh, um, that's you know. A nepo baby football I, <laughs> I was against that but Gary come on for
2: so many big names aren't listed um, as they're paid through Independence or BBC Studios uh, does it undermine the, the list and the reporting of the list uh, by hiving off all those people
3: I know, that I, you know, it's it's increasingly a global market for talent as we just talked about with Gary Lineker these are international broadcasters who are going to look to poach international talent, particularly on sport remember that Amazon mm. has come into the UK with Premier League rights as well and if you've watched the coverage on Amazon it's like an Avengers assemble of you've got some Sky <laughs> presenters with some BBC presenters with some BBC sport presenters and they all kind of mix and match from the others and I think the market actually we're going to see some interesting things happen in the market where you're already seeing with uh, Major League Soccer going on to Apple TV um, you're going to see even more sports right go on to Netflix it's going to become more competitive I'm fascinated to know what happens with the Premier League and Sky
2: also got TNT Sports the new Eurovision BT uh, Eurovision Eurosport BT yeah, joint yeah. venture and what they do out of the ashes of BT Sport
3: Re- rebranding uh, this weekend I believe to mm. TNT Sports um, so you're going to see even more talent move around and it's going to get even more expensive to have the best talent and if they're going to continue to have match of the day it looks like they will for the foreseeable future um, whoever presents it in future because is not going to be around forever then they are going to be earning a million plus mm.
2: uh, well in the annual report we also heard about bumper profits for BBC Studios they rose from 6% to 240 million the success has been attributed largely to the expansion of its global content Studio, which now generates over three quarters of revenue from third parties. Uh, Matt, BBC Studios doubled its business in the five years to 2022, and it's aiming to double again in the until 2028. They're aiming for. Um, That's pretty good. It's great. What what strategy's got them there? What do we know? Well,
4: I mean, it just it's it's part of the picture of people's insatiable demand for high quality content. You know, and they've they've produced some great shows, uh, and I think they'll they'll continue doing that. I think what is interesting is how much of this becomes part of the the bigger picture future about the funding of the BBC, you know, and can the BBC produce shows that go global and make huge revenues uh, and mitigate some of the the costs domestically? You know, that might be... Uh, something that strategically becomes more and more important to them, which, which be, is good. The yeah. ultimate
2: solution would be BBC Studios funded the do, the domestic yeah. Uh, BBC. Yeah, they're still about they put and about
4: three hundred million in, didn't they? Something yeah, like this. And yeah, and so
2: they're about two and a half billion away from That's right. uh, yeah. from being doing it all in total. Yeah, well, uh, well in right right directions.
3: Yeah, uh, Omar, can they keep up momentum? Um, I, I I fear that they can't. To be honest, I mean, we're already seeing this year that Netflix has scaled back. Disney's made thousands of layoffs, scaling back production. Um, we we already before the pandemic had a huge. Um, arms race in content production when content when adoption was taking place on streaming with Netflix Disney Plus Amazon Prime Video and then everyone was forced to sit at home all day during the pandemic Mm. so even more content and then there was production restrictions and then everything came back with a bang and now we're seeing everyone get over their skis and what I think we're going to see a correction in the market where I mean BBC studios, they can take it because of the particular model of the BBC, but there is clearly an oversupply in TV content right now. And, you know, you know, three years ago, there was never a better time to be a gaffer or a lighting Ooh. assistant. But I think that those days are up now and we're seeing a, a return to the mean.
2: And particularly in factual television, which has seen even more cuts, uh, which we talked about over the past few weeks. Uh, the government's set to abolish Section 40 of the Crime and Courts Act, which obligates any newspaper that's not signed up to the regulators to cover the costs of any libel trial, even if it loses. Uh, but Labour is likely to anger news publishers by saying that they would challenge the repeal. Um, Matt, Section 40, um, it's never been implemented, mm. particularly. Why do some think it needs to exist? Well, I
4: mean, it's it's it always it strikes me as a a very dangerous element to have, uh, a, or a pr- proposition to somebody. You know, you can sue somebody, you can sue a newspaper, and even if you lose, the newspaper will have to pay your costs, which is fundamentally what mm. Section Forty establishes. It, it, it does seem to be an encouragement to people to sue newspapers. Uh, some might say good. You know, there's lots of people who deserve to sue newspapers but can't afford to. But equally, if you do that, you think about the people that newspapers investigate, you know, seriously wealthy individuals who could go with absolute abandon and sue every mention that they come, you know, as defamatory. That seems to me to be fundamentally discouraging to the practice of investigative journalism. So, I, how do you how do you balance, do you balance it? Um, and we've talked well, about already the yeah. you know,
2: overreach of, of newspapers. Yeah. Do you need to have something that seems uh, a little bit mean to, to try and keep them on their toes or make them a little more honest?
4: Well, 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 I think it all boils down to the way that newspapers are regulated. And this is a, an argument that's been running now since Leveson. And the government of the day's um, determination to have this uh, a state-sponsored regulator, which I think quite rightly newspapers push back against Impress, press. Um, but nevertheless, you know, the state of British newspapers has always been, um, you know, uh, something to behold. And, and self-regulation is always problematic and always uh, problems crop up from time to time that make people say, we've got to renew the whole system. Yeah. But giving people... A free pass to sue newspapers at will, effectively, seems to me to be not the solution. What what I find um, curious is Labour's insistence that that they wouldn't repeal mm. it because, it, like I say, it's a moot point almost because it's never been enacted anyway. But um, so why Keir Starmer? It's interesting. Keir Starmer, not particularly uh, courageous when it comes to challenging uh, newspaper barons' interests, sipping champagne. At, at uh, Murdoch's summer party and stuff like this, making potentially a, a, a an argument for himself with those with those people over this. It's an interesting move.
2: Uh, Omar, is that just something Labour are saying but they wouldn't actually follow through with if they if they become uh, the leading party of the country?
3: Well, I'm absolutely astounded. Why say anything? Mm. Why? Where was the demand? But being on the
2: side of the newspapers isn't isn't great for their core audience, is it? For no. Labour's
3: core audience. Oh, I, I suppose so. I, I, I doubt that kind of, you know, the, the traditional Labour voter, whatever that looks like nowadays, because the demographics have changed, I doubt that there is a huge demand and no one's going into the ballot box next year thinking, oh, I was on the fence, but now, you know, they're going to protect, you know, billionaires and oligarchs, make it even easier to sue newspapers. Yeah, that's why I'm going to vote Labour. Um, I'm just astounded at this story. I'm, I'm actually appalled. And as someone who's worked in this industry for you know, 15 odd years now, um, it's actually really offensive. Do you think they would have had more, uh, a better chance if they'd basically said we're going to
2: do Leveson part two, which was never, you know, it's never happened? Well, I think, I mean, it, it, you've got to... I mean, this week is still showing what the newspapers, yeah, uh, their worst
4: can do. Yeah, yeah, No, I think that's right. And I think, you know, this it's, it's hard for me, to be honest, because mm. w- with the best will in the world, I still believe in a free press, you know, and I still believe that the UK newspaper market is one of the most vibrant and most effective in 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 the world and and there's some amazing journalism done on a daily basis you know but there's also some real shit stuff happening you know and happens and has happened for decade after decade and no one's ever found a a way to to put a lid on that it you got to also take a big step back and say Who's driving all of this? And it's not Murdoch, it's not the government, it's not the BBC, it's the British public mm. who drive all of that stuff because they have this innate fascination with it because they've grown up with it and they love all the, the gossip and tittle tattle. So so anybody who feels absolved in this argument, you know, I don't think any any of us are, are guilt free about how the British press acts. But how you how you go about um enforcing good behavior in the press is is a question that's never been satisfactorily answered whether leveson two would would make any real fundamental difference i don't know you know i don't think leveson one made any fundamental real difference um but i suspect you know there will always be voices off calling calling for it and one day somebody will f up to the degree that that call becomes a little bit more loud in the public
2: sphere and is accepted and we'll be here when they f up uh there's just time for the media quiz this week it's entitled spin doctors Uh, Mm. i'll name a media brand or show you tell me if this week they've had a spin-off or been spun out so we're looking for a spin-off or have been spun out you can buzz in with your name if you know the answer so omar you will say omar and matt you will say Will I say Matt? Yes, you will. Uh, Right, here we go. Uh, Question number one. uh, So, spun off or spun out? Uh, The New York Times sports desk. Spun off. Matt.
4: Uh, uh, Matt. 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 I know this. I'm so excited. I know the answer to a question. Yes. uh, Spun off. Yes. To uh, being replaced by The Athletic.
2: Yes. The the New York Times acquired The Athletic uh, subscription uh, sports digital service. uh, And there was always a bit of a question, wasn't there, over... The, the, how complimentary they were. But in the end, they decided that the New York Times sports desk are no longer needed in their current form and they're going to move
3: the athletic coverage yeah. in. Sensible, Omar? I have subscribed to The Athletic in the UK basically since it came out mm. and it's been ad-free for a long time. And since it's been acquired by the New York Times and had ads ostensibly, I haven't seen very many ads apart from mm. house ads. So that's interesting, number one. But I can tell you that in general, the quality of the journalism is fan. Fantastic. it is yeah and actually you know it, it's been a long journey for my own brand the media leader because we've moved away from doing news and churn and getting into that whole mm. game very high volume little return and actually we look at the athletic internally as a role model for actually in a similar way to other brands have done such as tortoise very good job mm. of looking at issues doing deep dives getting you content that you can't get anywhere else where yeah. i think it's fantastic and all sports journalism. Needs to look at the athletics. Well, I was
2: also looking at some of the reporting. Obviously, if you worked on the sports desk, you're pretty grumpy about this. Well, they're all. Um, I
4: think all the jobs are being migrated over. Yeah, and they're or.
2: sort of yeah. saying where sports crosses over with business yeah. or with yeah. entertainment, yeah. then that'll still be covered. But kind of scores, reporting on teams, yeah. all of that side yeah. is going to be handled by athletic. Yeah,
4: I have to say because like you, I've been a fan from the word go because mainly because one of the guys I used to work with. Uh, a long time ago, became I forget what his title. I think it was managing editor or managing director in in the UK. And and I thought, well, that's the last we'll ever hear of him. And I think he's probably in his villa in the Bahamas now. Haven't haven't been part of that buyout. And they've and also I know some guys who left regional journalism. Mm. And it's funny enough, regional journalism has its knockers. But I think one place it always excels as in sports coverage and you get some fantastic sports journalists in regional journalism and And I know a couple of guys who left newspapers I was working with and uh, joined The Athletic and it became the making of them you know again I thought we'll never hear them again It's it's, it's been a, a, such a great vehicle for journalism which is always I think very
2: heartening. Well, I think one of the uh, Athletic founders in their um, enthusiastic early days said uh, we're going to wait out until every local, That's right. uh, every yeah. local sports uh, Writers that are gone, yeah. uh, and in some ways they've perhaps achieved that with the New York Times. Oddly, in what they've said, right? Question number two: uh, Spin off or spun out? Taskmaster.
3: Uh, Omar, Omar, spun in. Sp- spun in. What, what's Sp- the positive? <laughs> oh, no. The, uh, whatever the positive one is. <laughs> yes, a spin-off.
2: Correct. Uh, this is Channel 4 of announcing a food-based spin-off of Taskmaster. Uh, Foodmaster, hosted by Ed Gamble, will challenge five celebrities to get creative with cuisine, uh, but they don't get too excited. Channel 4 aren't officially commissioning it again as it's currently a one-off pilot. I mean, this makes sense for broadcasters, doesn't it, to, to look at a really well, uh, well-supported, well-liked programming and find new ways to drag some more cash out them
3: uh, yes and taskmaster taskmaster has been a particular favorite of channel 4 um, you might remember not so long ago they fell foul of ASA rules <laughs> over not declaring that Google was actually um, an a, advertising this this production that they were doing with taskmaster content and you know they're very entrepreneurial and channel 4 has you know does um, co-branded content very well uh, okay so you've got a point each uh,
2: uh, spin-off or spun out question number three kiss FM
4: no idea. Come
2: on, you're, you, one of you pick one. Omar, the the negative one spun, spun out. out. <laughs> uh, correct. <laughs> Uh, This is uh, Kiss FM has seemingly overstayed its welcome in Cambridge, Suffolk and Peterborough. Despite resistance from people who were involved in a consultation from Ofcom, uh, Greatest Hits Radio, another Bauer brand, is going to replace Kiss on three of its four FM frequencies in the east of England. Uh, So this is part of of Bauer's desire to put uh, Greatest Hits Radio on more FM frequencies across the country. Uh, Absolute Radio came off uh, FM in London and the West Midlands. Kiss now coming off in the East Midlands. Is Radio now just for older audiences, are they taking the younger stations off?
4: I don't know really, I think a lot of older people are tuning into more and more podcasts as well, aren't they? I think I, I have no idea, to be honest. It's an
3: interesting question. Yeah, I mean, it's, your point about podcasts is right. I mean, I feel like um, every other male friend is texting me every other day talking about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is <laughs> <laughs> all over the podcast that's networks. Right, yeah. um, I've, I've, I feel like you discussed this on a previous podcast, like these AM, FM transmitters, hmm. they're, they're expensive and difficult to maintain. And as things move to digital, that's the way things are going. So to your point, I suspect you're right. Although we have had some interesting data about as people return to the office, this is born out in the radar, Data people returning to the office, younger people are actually indexing higher for listening to radio than one of the professional working ones. Um, so there's that.
4: Someone once told me a very interesting fact about the future of automated cars. Yes. and how that would be partially the death of radio because uh,
3: hotels on wheels. You watch TV. because as mm. you
4: as you are driving along, you no longer have to pay attention to the road, and so this captive audience, you, people would switch over to I visual. Think, yeah. I
2: think it's particularly a problem in America where fifty percent of consumption of radio is in car. In the UK, it's only twenty percent. Right. So, uh, still the the biggest place people listen to the radio in the UK is the home, about fifty percent. Uh, but yeah, I think I think there is something about. The digital-analog switch, and you know, Bob had a lot of success from Greatest Hits Radio, and we will hear in a couple of weeks uh, whether the arrival of Ken Bruce has transformed their ratings even further. Uh, right, uh, congratulations, Omar! Uh, two points to you. Uh, even though he didn't have a well, clue about whether you, he was right you, or wrong, you've got to be in it to win. So. Um, uh, well done. Uh, as a prize, uh, you get to work out. Um, uh, the media podcast's libel policy in light of the <laughs> Section 40 uh, news. Sounds uh, lucrative. Uh, thank you both. Uh, Matt, how can people keep up with uh, what you're doing?
4: Buy the New European <laughs> or listen to the Two Mats podcast.
2: Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, including where listen to this one. And Omar, how about you?
3: Uh, You can read our stuff. We write about media and advertising on themedialeader.co.uk. And if there are any Omars out there, I'm happy to start a two Omars. (laughs) (laughs) Two Omars. Get in touch. Uh, Thank you both thank you you're welcome
2: thank you so much for joining us today at the London Podcast Studios where you can now get 25% off your first booking when you use the code MEDIAPOD that's at thelondonpodcaststudios.com that's MEDIAPOD at thelondonpodcaststudios.com for 25% off Uh, my name's Matt Deegan the producer was Matt Hill with support from Laura Elwood Craig it was a Rethink Audio production and I'll see you up at the Edinburgh Festival